bad and bullshit. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erin. I'm Erica. And Am I supposed to introduce myself? I mean, at that point, yeah. I think, yeah, if you want. I think everyone just knows who you are. All right, then Then everyone sorted it out. <laughs> <laughs> the dulcet tones of David's voice. Yeah. And I'm Dave, coming to you Wait. live from <laughs> doing my dishes. Oh, that's right. I forget you you multitask on podcasts. I'm I I yeah, I'm off to Toronto today for work stuff and, and see some people and I don't like coming home to a mess. And so <sighs> my apartment is never cleaner than before I leave to leave for a, a trip. And then when I come back, it's nice and clean. I second that approach to life. Feels great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's nothing yeah. I want to do less than come home and then have to clean. Yeah. yeah exactly. But nothing I have to unpack. It's a nice, tidy space, unlike last night's debate. <laughs> so quick, quick. Ooh, temp. that segue. Woo. Quick, yeah, yeah, yeah. quick temp totally. check, though. How are we all feeling about this election so far at this point? Not good, Aaron. Not good. <laughs> it blows. It I'm really... so tired. It doesn't even suck. It blows. <laughs> wow. Specific. <laughs> it's almost cuffing season it is cuffing season it's, so there you go it's still a little warm out to be cuffing season but i don't disagree it's like the cusp of cuffing season was that a blows segue Ooh, yes it was oh i see okay come on david we're all adults here what <laughs> come on um, and David, I, be- I believe there was some requests for some pumpkin spice content during this episode. So, you know, I hope Ooh. you deliver. So I saw that Starbucks, this is something I'm willing to try. Starbucks is basically like Apple. You know, once they, you think you're out, but they just pull you back in. Yeah. Or the Godfather. <laughs> Three. Thank you. Yeah. Or numerous <laughs> references of the Godfather Three on the Sopranos. <laughs> Shout out to Paul. Is it Polly? No, it's Syl. It's Syl. He does it. Okay. So um, I saw a pumpkin, like a nitro cold brew with pumpkin cream. Absolutely not. Holy hell. I'm trying it. I don't care what you guys say. Sounds like jet fuel. This is, I feel like exactly that's what I hope it is. Okay. You can be the correspondent for whatever that is. Can you come with like a, from a, uh, an Instagram live? <laughs> Coming at you live. <laughs> It'll be you just shaking uncontrollably. <laughs> yeah, that sounds disgusting. I did buy, I had to order some, you know, I have to say, I like, I like shopping locally when I can. And occasionally I, I order from Amazon because look, we're all participants in systems that we have limited controls over. Anyway, so I had to buy something from Amazon, but I had to get to the free delivery scale. You know how that goes? Mm-hmm. No, uh, you know what I was buying? I was I've... buying those th- those mask extension things because I've got to be on the trains and planes a lot. So I bought someone, a journalist friend said, buy these things that wrap around the back so it doesn't scrub your ears. But they were like, you know, eight bucks. So I had to find the rest. Anyway, long story short, I bought pumpkin spice coffee beans. No. Because you had to make the deliver the free delivery cutoff. 
Yeah, because I was like, okay. well, look, I'm going to buy something. I'm going to use that yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. otherwise it's just money. That's on, how they the get table. you. That's, you, how that's get literally you. how they get you. Yeah. It's like it's Sephora pricing. Yeah. <laughs> You're two dollars off. You're like, fuck. What you couldn't have bought a book? I like buying books locally because okay. I can get them locally. Fine. But this coffee you can't buy locally. And so that's kind of my rationalization workaround to f- I, you know, feel a bit better about myself. I Not do, a lot better about myself. But I do better. hate to tell you that you could have bought one of those mask things locally. <sighs> oh, sorry. But, but now you have no, your, it's on me. Now you have yeah. your coffee. And now I have my pumpkin spice beans. Yeah. So, you know, really your, your best life. It all worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Not like us, the rest of us from watching that debate last night. So we're basically just going to talk about the debate. Um, Anyway, um, how did the debate debate go for you two? I'm very keen to hear what Erica thinks, because I know she's got some strong capital. I'll tell you about my evening. I had a couple of glasses of wine and then tried to make a shelf halfway through while it was just like in the background noise. And then I was trying to hammer the shelf together and was making too much noise and opted to stop. So my neighbors didn't hate me. So. That's what they should have done with the debate. Well, by the time I stumbled into the end part of our pre-debate, I was pretty soused. Um, Yeah. Uh, First I was, first I started drinking with a friend. I was out and then um, switched to weed by, oh, when did I switch to weed? Definitely the last quarter of that debate. So I was properly in a good space, okay? Here's the thing. I feel like, okay, I don't care what anybody says. Adam E. Paul won that debate. Mm. Won that debate, um, hands down, you know, uh, maybe Singh was a distant second, but she brought up all the things that we talk about, not all of them, but some important points that we talk about. Trudeau, how could, how could we trust Trudeau with the way you've treated your women of color? I was like, oh, it was so good. It was so good. And then she started naming names. Anime Paul just cut through. All of this performative bullshit, the politics makes you dance around Mm -hmm. and brought her truth. Honestly, she brought a lot of truths. And she she put on that debate stage issues that we have yet to talk about from these fucking pundits, okay? Somebody was, I said last night, I said, watch tomorrow, all these pundits, all these papers, all of this white supremacy in media is going to come out and they're not going to even going to recognize her as the winner. Uh Lo and behold, somebody told me that they were listening to Metro morning and apparently on Metro morning quote, there was no clear winner to the debate. Uh, Which debate were you watching? Cause I saw one and she had gathered sleeves on her jacket. Okay. Second of all, Justin Trudeau's a dick. Like, (laughs) He is a fucking dick. And the way he spoke down to us, to her, to, I'm like, bitch, you 
haven't done much. So why don't you sit down and eat your food? And at one point turning to her, he cut her off so many times. He cut off the female um, uh, moderators so many times. I mean, he was just disrespectful. And what else? Like, and then turns to Paul and say, well, I'm not going to take caucus lessons from you. Oh, that's right. Because you're the one that throws out every, every woman with her own opinion. Uh-huh. So let's not step there, Justin. And you know what? From yesterday's debate, all I said is, oh, my God, he needs to go. That's all I said. And the conservatives, okay, whatever, okay? I feel like now I was talking to somebody else who's a huge progressive. And they were saying, they were saying, I honestly, at this point, just don't care about not letting the conservatives in because like, that's not a winning strategy for me and my community. And it's true. It's not a good strategy for our communities. Anybody but the conservatives. Well, we're going to get the conservatives sometimes. That's just history. And that's just the way conservative two years of the conservatives. I'm hoping they won't do much damage, but, um, but honestly, at this point, I just want Trudeau gone. I'm so sick of him. I'm so sick of his lies. And then lies and tells us that he's not taking indigenous children to court. Really? <laughs> Fuck you. You're a liar. On top of that, like on top of every, I just, I, I don't. And I'm sorry, did Aaron O'Toole like just peace out for half the debate? I swear he came, he only came to talk about balanced budgets. And, and that was it. I'm not sure what, why, why um, Blanche, Blanchette is there um, and his white fragility on display. Oh, how dare you call Quebec? Nobody was talking about racism. And then Blanchette, how dare you call Quebec racist? And I'm just like, what is that, a guilty mind? Like, what's your problem? You're racist. Sorry. I'm from Alberta. I should know they're racist. Nova Scotia's racist. BC is racist. Saskatchewan's racist. Manitoba's fucking racist. We're all fucking racist. Not me, but y'all. <laughs> anyway, so that's my overall. Oh, shit. I forgot to sing because, I mean, he was fine. I thought he was good. Um, I don't, I think he looked really good for opposition. Not for leadership, like not for like prime minister. Um. And that's growth, in my opinion, because he didn't look like that last time. So those are my, and I'm sorry, how come, how come it was Paul bringing up the issue of marginalized people, the issue of people not being paid properly, the issue of all the things the NDP say they're about, but I didn't hear it from Singh like I heard it from Paul. That's what I noticed. Singh was too busy looking centric and Paul just came with it. That's my, that's my whole thing. Okay. I'll put myself on mute now. So I think about it in terms of, of adjusted expectations, right? And if, so when we're talking about who wins a debate, I mean, the question is, what do you mean win? And I think the best performance was probably Paul. I found her the most compelling, the most interesting, and probably the most substantive and, uh, you know, there was a combination of being 
like respectful and engaging, but not taking any shit. And I think that's just a good person. I like that. And I agree with Erica. She brought up things. Other people didn't. <clears throat> I also think she won in terms of, of adjusted expectations. I think if anyone's going to see proportionally significant movement, it will be her, which is traditional for sort of third, fourth, fifth parties in debates. That's not unusual. But she like, you know, she was great. And, and she deserves a bump in the polls. And, and I'll say this again, I've been saying it a lot. Man, imagine if they had just let her lead her party from day one, <laughs> right? Instead of going to war with her when she won, she legitimately won the leadership. She had the right to govern that party and they tried to take her out from day one and they cost themselves a lot because she could have been a lot in, in much better shape. Uh, but I think Trudeau lost, I suspect. We'll see you know, by the weekend, by early next week what the numbers say, but I think Trudeau probably had the worst night of anybody defensive, condescending, flustered. Uh, today, he came out and blamed the moderator for that, basically. Uh, but he looks like a petulant little uh, whiner in a lot of ways. He blamed the moderator for what? Well, uh, he we'll came out in. today and said, yeah, okay. Yeah, we'll I, I don't have the quote in front of me. But uh, and so I, I think he probably had the worst night, which means that for O'Toole, it was probably ultimately a very good night, right? So you can make a case that he won, but not necessarily because of his performance, just because of how things went. And I think Singh held his own and, and had great moments too and, and connected with folks and will probably have held his own and maybe improved the NDP fortunes a little bit. So, I, you know, I, we'll see how it shakes out, but that was my sort of initial assessment. Blanchette probably also won, right? Uh, he was irritating. He was offensive. He's got to stop comparing uh, the Quebec experience to the experience of marginalized peoples and indigenous peoples. It's deeply offensive and, and, and inaccurate. And it's racist. Uh, yeah, what, and that's but also, and like, I mean, how do you talk to a Franco-Ontarian? Oh, God. Oh. Well, I mean, he, he, sort of, he sort of says, well, you know, uh, Quebec hasn't signed the constitution and, and they have it forced on them. It's like indigenous peoples. I'm like, Quebec was... This is a different sort of thing, first of all. Uh, but but I think that that sort of victim posture from him will play well in Quebec, and the moderator's uh, questions to him and the and the pushback from leaders on Bill Twenty One will play well for him in Quebec. So I think yeah. he ultimately had a good night, even if to us it didn't look particularly good because it was. I I, absurd. I would agree with that. Yes. So yeah, that's his, that's my general sense. Like a, a gnat, mm-hmm. like yeah. that's his strategy. He wants to be a gnat. And he He's got nothing that, at stake, right? Yeah, and he did that actually effectively. And I thought that that was yet another force kind of that took Trudeau out in a way. Because yeah, I think Trudeau was deeply, like, deeply angry and upset. He was visibly f- frustrated. He was very red in the face. Mm-hmm. Um, and he looked kind in of that like, ashy face. Yeah. A little ashy. You know, you know what? Go ahead. You know what my read of him is? I got one. He's a guy that doesn't like when people disagree with him and, and seems uh, deeply offended every time someone push back, pushes his back against him, right? I mean, like how there's dare the whole SOC Lavalin thing, right? Well, exactly, exactly. But you can see it in his face. And do you remember when was it, was it uh, Hassan Minaj? Was it his yeah. show he, yeah. he went on? Yeah. And he made fun of him about Saudi Arabia. And yeah. he sort of, sort of looked at him and said, well, I'm sure they've got a file on you or something like that. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's. That is a psych. That is a psychotic thing to say. 
or sociopathic thing to say, right? Like mm-hmm. that, that as a as a thing to say it was deeply disturbing. And you see that every so often. It's the thank you for your donation. Yeah. Like, I mean, right? He's yeah. got major Patrick Bateman vibes sometimes. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> we all we all just went, oh. Well, I mean listening to oh. Huey Lewis all day. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the fact that I think I think the mask has come off I think the combination of Trudeau does not like not being liked Trudeau is basically white fragility on steroids okay and this country operates like Trudeau so Canadians don't like not being liked Mm -hmm. it's it's like a thing I don't know what it is I don't know where it came from probably because like you know, I don't know why. Anyway, but I think the the combination of he's been challenged before, but he's always had the upper hand because he's always had his brand and it's not working anymore. And I think if you're the Liberal Party, you're like, okay, this dude's run his course kind of thing, right? Because you can see that. I can see him, to me, he failed miserably last night all of the all of the scandals like became personified because like you just mentioned snc and how he and how he reacted to that but he just seemed he does not like being challenged and that is male leadership in this country they don't like being challenged they'll lash out at you yeah, I think that that idea of Canadians wanting to be liked is part of our how we continue to position ourselves vis-a-vis the U.S. And so that we've got that Canadian exceptionalism. We're like, oh, well, the U.S. is our big, bad, older brother, sister, and therefore we're the nice, polite, y- younger sibling that's not non-threatening. You know, we're going to kind of be there to help out. But again, this goes back to things we talked about in the past about um, positioning ourselves as peacekeepers and all of these like ideals that we believe that we are, which may or may not be the case. Um, And so I've heard, uh, if classic Ottawa, uh, that this is Trudeau's last election. And regardless of, I think the outcome, I mean, obviously if they lose, like he's out as leader, but I think even if he wins, he's he steps down in like a couple of years. So that's what I've heard through the grapevine. Um, how could it not be his last election? Look at him. He's mm-hmm. bur- yeah. like, <laughs> I mean, it's actually hilarious to watch. It's hilarious to watch the, the house of cards burning from the inside. It really is. It's, it's very entertaining, I must say. I'm enjoying that. I really am. And then, because because I don't need to be lectured by fucking the liberals. They need to, they really need to recognize, they need to read the room. And they need to do some sort of introspection, (laughs) which they won't, about why the country hates them so much. It's not because they're successful and it's not because we're jealous. It's literally because they lie to us and they're hypocrites and they 
they've basically bullshitted their way through six years and we're done and we're tired. Yeah, and I think that's why we got that big liberal win in 2015 is because Trudeau was here. He was sa- he was the savior of the party. We're back, you know, both Canada and the liberals. And he was very much the antithesis of the leaders before him. Um, and so once we realized that that isn't necessarily the case, sure, he's just younger and has a little bit more energy or whatever, but it's still the same party. A few years ago, there was some psychology literature that I was reading that said, basically, people don't like hypocrites and they don't like liars, but they'll forgive a liar. They won't forgive a hypocrite. (laughs) Like we sort of said, like, yeah, okay, lie. I don't like when people lie to me. Bullshit's not cool, but whatever. But if you're a hypocrite, fuck no, right? (laughs) Because they they feel deeply betrayed by hypocrites. Uh, I suspect it's maybe because, um, you know, that's a you know, we all know we're all liars, but we're not all hypocrites and, or at least not, you know, to the same degree, but uh, Trudeau feels like a hypocrite. And he had set himself up from a high, you know, a, a high, uh, great height from which to fall. And, you know, this happens with the platforms too. You know, he said, well, you know, the, Trudeau didn't get it done, but he promised it and he started. And, and what do you expect? My response is always, don't make grand pronouncements and plans if you can't follow through with them. Be more modest, be honest. But you swing for the fences every time and you strike out and say, well, you know, but I swung, it's not my fault. It's like, no, you can be a contact hitter. I'm not sure why I'm doing baseball and analogies now. I don't get it. I just slip in. It just, you know, basically they set themselves up to fail and then blamed us for judging them that they failed. Yeah, yeah well, no, the they didn't have to. Like incremental change. Yeah, you didn't have to. It's total and gaslighting. It, they gaslit the public. They yeah. consistently gaslight the public. Yeah. And then they always say, well, you know, look, it's not our fault because X, Y, or Z come along. And, you know, look, to some extent with the pandemic, that's certainly true. But they governed for years ahead of the pandemic. So you can't simply blame the pandemic for all their failures. There are lots of broken promises pre-pandemic. But not only and, that, they take their broken promises, they reintroduce them at the next election, and then threaten us yeah. that we won't yes. get it unless we vote for them. <laughs> 100%. Like, that's that's exactly psychotic. It. It's exactly it. It's abusive. Yeah. It's abu- Thank you. They're, it is. It is. The like, Liberal it's, Party it's, are abused. You're right. It's, They're a, all it's an abusive strategy. Mm-hmm. Oh. It's an abusive strategy. It's better than us hostage. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just I, awful. It's a real Icarus situation, you know? We're covering all the bases today. We've got Icarus, we've got baseball. Yeah. See? We had some Godfather. We are well rounded. Yeah. I like that about us. I love that for us. <laughs> oh my God. But to go back to your just your points about enemy Paul, I absolutely agree. I think she was very good. And she we talked about this after uh, on Twitter spaces after the debate is we were talking about debate format and we can get into that later maybe. But you know, David, you posed a question. What if we did a round table where we talk about one issue in depth and my response to that was none of these people know policy know what they're actually proposing well enough to have a substantive conversation except maybe anime paul yeah i think we need to um understand that she's a policy walk and i i heard a woman who knew policy last night Mm -hmm. which is 
very rare in debates, not the woman part, but the policy part. And, you know, she had a clear idea, a clear objective, and, and she knew what she was saying. And I, I think, you know, when you and I interviewed her, um, I know when I did, I, I heard, I got giddy because I was like, oh my God, she knows policy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Politicians don't know policy. No, but she, she's not afraid to tell you that she's smart and that she knows things. And that's revolutionary for a Black woman. Yeah. Not to shrink herself. Yeah. You know what? She did, she did Black women a solid last night. And she did a lot of women. She did a lot of women of color a solid last night. And um, I would extend it to women, but, you know, white women. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about them. Uh, so... <laughs> So um, she came out unafraid, undeterred, bold. The most important thing that Anime Paul showed us was that she didn't shrink herself. That she belongs there. And that she belongs there. And how dare that asshole Trudeau turn to her and speak to her like she's a piece of trash. I will never vote for him. Again. But I mean, even if the liberals want my vote, they'll get rid of them. Well, I'm it, not doing that. But it even shows her own the, her own party that she rightfully earned and deserves the role of leader that they have well, not allowed her to make her own. That's right. And I think that's the like really important part is that she not only showed us, but now we're looking at her party like what's wrong with these people? You know, if like, first of all, I don't believe their argument. Oh, well, it's Israel and Palestine. Then why are you all going to the conservatives and liberals if you're leaving the Greens? You're not going to the NDP. So your argument is moot. okay? and it's bullshit. You don't like her because she's too black, too woman, too proud, period. Uh Let's just. Let's just put it all out there because literally that's what it comes down to. She's quote unquote too much. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to know, especially white women, how many women have told other women that, especially women of color. And that's where me and white women come wrong. Okay. Because white women will parrot that patriarchal nonsense to you and tell you to shut the fuck up because they did. It's not my fault that you were too that you were you you lacked the courage to speak your truth it's not my fault so don't don't go to other women and tell them not to because you didn't have the 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 courage or or whatever or the temerity to do it yourself right she took a risk she went out there and she claimed her spot she claimed her space and that is what i got out of that debate is that she gave us all a lift because all I saw were men talking and they're talking shit and they're talking shit all around her. And then she's, she just cuts through the bullshit and says, actually, Trudeau, I really wouldn't blah, 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 or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's what I saw. So I feel like it was a very, I thought that was the most, dis, the, the greatest display of feminism. Mm. I've seen in a long time in this country, in, politi- in politics. 
One of the things that we don't talk about enough in this country is the intersection of identity and class. We sort of say, okay, we only do identity politics or we should only do class politics. And like, Mm -hmm. well, let's talk identity and class. (laughs) Uh, I think Paul has, uh, you know, been getting at that effectively and and is probably one of the better intersectional communicators that I've seen. And, and is expressly talking about class in a way that, that even Singh doesn't always. And I, I really hope to see more of that from her because we just don't talk class in this country. We just don't talk class and, and we ought to. And I think that's one of the things she does and does well. And I'd like to see more of it. <clears throat> I wanna hear more of her. I wanna mm-hmm. see more of her. I wanna yes. hear more of her. I want it all. I want her to be on every debate stage ever because if not, we get no representation, none. And you know what else she taught other people of color, especially black people? Like stop kowtowing to whiteness because if you do, then we don't even get heard. Yeah. I feel like I learned a lot from her. So after the debate, there were some scrums and Blanchette was basically saying that he found Sachi Curl's question to him about uh, C-21, the uh, religious symbols law in Quebec or Bill 21 or whatever, um, offensive and that he, it paint, her question painted Quebecers as racist and xenophobic. And obviously we all know that the law itself is racist and xenophobic. And during the debate, uh, Blanchette said, oh, you know, it's not a racist law. It just upholds Quebecers values. And I was like, oh, yeah, so you're really just saying we are racist, but we just don't like when you call us racist. And our values actually are racist. So that was it's, a, it's quite the self-own. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, my guy, you, that doesn't mean what you think it means to this audience. Maybe to, like, in a French debate, okay, but not to the Anglophones. Yeah, Quebec is stuck in this sort of... 1960s era yes. of race yes. relations. Yes, yeah. exactly. The, the sort of 60s laicite thing, as if we haven't moved beyond that to something a little more nuanced, especially in the wake of of 9/11 and the sort of anti anti-Islam uh, hatred Which and Quebec xenophobia that came out of that. Infamous for, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it still is. And yeah, and so you know, France has the same problem, incidentally, right? Like it's a, yeah. it's a problem that's very much mirrored in France, and it is it is not exclusive to Quebec, but there are some affinities there. Yes. There's like France too. It's like in the 1950s in, and gender too, actually. I don't like the, God, they're another story. The French are just, they're racist. So They're, they're different races from like British racist though. I feel like this needs to be examined at some point, but not by me. Okay, go on. So David had alluded earlier that Trudeau basically blamed his performance in part on the uh, moderator. And so uh, Trudeau actually complained about many things. He complained about the format. It wasn't encouraging for follow-ups and that the moderator was interrupting people. Uh, he also attacked the Globe and Mail and then said, Trudeau said he was, quote, taken aback by the premise of the question, by Sachi Curl on Bill 21 last night. Quote, as a Quebecer, I found that question really offensive. I don't think that question was acceptable or appropriate. 
I had a hard time processing even last night, end quote. Reed, he needs to win Quebec to win the election. Mm-hmm. That was a follow-up from the French debate where him and Blanchet got into it about this is Trudeau being Quebec enough. Yeah. What, do you mean, what is he saying? It is okay. So this is like him straddling the fence, basically. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what else is he gonna do? This okay. guy wouldn't know the truth if it came up and like slapped him with a two by four. Honestly, I cannot fathom how he needs time to process a question that was simple enough for like, you know, somebody half his age to understand. Why does he need time to process? Yeah, I mean. Are you dumb? Just say you're dumb and move on. And of course, the the, the whole question got picked up by um, uh, the French media. You know, they were real pissed about that question. Uh, in Le Devoir and La Presse, they, you know, Quebec, Sealy, Quebec. That's why we don't talk about them here, usually. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what can you say about Quebec is, except it being like, well, Quebec. I mm-hmm. mean, they're just, I, I cannot take them seriously when they, when, when, when they say things they say stupid shit like this is a province who thinks using the n-word is just fine how can you not be a racist province yeah and i think i think having blanchette in these debates really impacts the ability to have discussions about intersectionality and how policies affect different marginalized communities right we can't even have a conversation about white supremacy because Blanchette thinks that everyone should be just treated the same regardless. But they're not treated the same regardless. That is the motherfucking point. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. that's the whole point of the discussion. And this is the thing. And I'm I don't know if he's doing it on purpose to obfuscate and and to and to dismiss and to um to derail. I don't know. But I'm like, are you really that stupid or are you just that clever derailing? I don't know. I think it's a, I don't want to say willful blindness, but I think it's just like, these are my beliefs, right? It's like, it's like a libertarian. So um, Erica, you've been, you know, pretty on the, the train of there having been no discussions about white supremacy and um, I am happy to let you know that Fatima Syed in McLean's wrote about um, white supremacy, but not in the way that you would think. She linked it and said to the anti-vax movement. Yeah, I wrote that too. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> I, I, want, I want something to blow me away. I really do. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. It's, it's, it's yeah, we could talk about it through the anti-vaxxer movement, but there's a culture of white supremacy in this country that nobody's talking about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I see Andrew Coyne write an article basically calling for the platforming of, um, what's that asshole's name? Maxime Bernier. And then like Stephen Marr from like McLean's, you know, like thumbs upping it. it it's just, it's, I'm like, I, I think I'm like, oh my gosh, we're, we're, we're not in 2021. We're literally in the U.S. 2016 on loop. That's what we're doing. 
And so when I see that, and I see that we've learned nothing from the US, and that's the problem with Canadian exceptionalism. We don't learn from their mistakes and we repeat them because we think we're better anyway. We literally learn fucking nothing. We literally learn fucking nothing. And these fucks, okay, are out there saying, oh, well, he should be invited to the debate. For what? So he could spread his white supremacist ideas and, and you want to call it both sizesism? Like, and then how many black and brown bodies need to drop before white people become human beings? That's my question. How many black and brown bodies have to be sacrificed for your listening and learning? Fuck you. <laughs> Done. I'm so over it. Like, I feel like this is the hill I'm willing to die on. I don't give a fuck. And the reason is, what are we going to do? What do you think is going to happen in this country? People are going to die. And they won't be white people. Okay. Or maybe they will. And are dying, right? Like you said. I mean, and, and, and we have this reflexive tendency to fall back on proceduralism because we're sort of fundamentally liberal in this country and the media is fundamentally liberal and say, well, okay, look, we have to have some rules and we'll let the rules decide and there are no special cases and everybody gets to battle out the, their ideas in the court of public opinion. And it's very, you know, 18th, 19th century classical liberal. And the pushback against that is, you know what, sometimes it's okay to make decisions based on substance, not on, not on process, because the, the, the substance matters, because it, it affects people, and it affects people disproportionately when it comes to certain things like white supremacy and extremism and so on and so forth. So we have to have the guts as a country to say, no, no, we're going to draw some lines. And we're going to say, no, this is different. And we don't want these people up here. Or we're going to say, uh, no, wearing uh, a headscarf in public is important because it's part of someone's identity, it's part of their culture, it's part of their faith, whatever it may be. And it's not the same thing as a cross, you know, worn around your neck, thank you very much. So we're gonna have to have these conversations where we parse out particularities based on substance, not just process. And I don't think we're good at having that conversation because we're so fundamentally liberal in that way. And it really irritates me because it just, it asks people to think a little bit, right? Not just to fall back on process, like think a little bit, judge. Use some ethics, you know, some consequentialism, some virtue ethics, right? Work it's it even, out, man. But we don't. Drives me absolutely bananas. It's even like with conversations with your friends, right? Like there are just groups of people that you know that who you two aren't are my really, only friends. We what? You two are my only friends, so I don't. It's true. Well, I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> who else do I need? But, like, but think about honestly, like, really, who else do you need? Yeah, who else do you need? <clears throat> like, not everyone's willing to like engage in a good faith conversation. Like, I'm happy to talk to anyone of my friends about politics, but like they they think that I'm going to like tear you know tear them to pieces, and that's not the case. Like, I'm happy to you know explain to them, but. They're just, there's just like a fear of being wrong and a fear of saying the wrong thing and a lack of willingness to have some introspection into why you think the way you think and why you do the things you do. It really fucking pisses me off. Yeah. And I think, I think there has to be space for people to engage in good faith and be wrong about things and make mistakes and not be mobbed. Um, you know, thank God I came of age 
in the pre-social media era where I believed things that were not particularly great. I was a small L liberal and a large L liberal for a period, incidentally, uh, and, and you know, spoke in ways I think that were in retrospect inappropriate. And I had people me correct me, right? Me but I, if I tried to do that online today, I don't think I would learn anything. I think I would be scared off. So, you know, it's, it's worth at times. I mean, there's times where you just need to shut people down, right? especially belligerent people who aren't engaged in good faith. But I've seen people sort of just ask questions or want to learn something and basically be told, you know, you don't belong here. What's wrong with you? And it's like, I don't know. Does anyone learn that way? Like genuine question. I once used an offensive word in undergrad in a class uh, before the class started and someone a woman turned around and looked at me and said that word's offensive and here's why and i never used it again yeah not once yeah and i was like damn you're right and i felt yeah. it and i recognized it yeah uh, but she wasn't trying to say okay let's let's drag this guy she it was you in. let's she teach this guy you out. yes yeah 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 so and it changed how i spoke for the right. rest of my life right right um i think it's the in good faith part yes Mm. That is the material point. Yes. And, and because you can't, people are always like, oh, why can't you teach a white supremacist to love? Like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, okay? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. You, no know, you shut the door on those people. Yeah, you know, no, no. You want to do yeah. that work? Why don't you do that work? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Why don't you do it? Mm-hmm. Okay. But, but I mean, people who are do doing it. the work. I, I'm talking about people who are doing the work who want to, to reach out and learn, right? Not right, people who are there to right, troll. Right. But you gotta you gotta approach it in good faith. And I think that is for me, that's and I've gotten it wrong. Like people have come to me and asked me things, and I've gotten it wrong and be like, eh. But then they're like, like, seriously, I'm really just asking. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Usually it's on Twitter, so that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. But um, but usually like if people are asking in good faith, you know, I don't mind sharing knowledge. I just, I just find that everybody wants you to teach them and nobody wants to compensate you for that in the Mm -hmm. capitalist society we live in. Then they expect you to like be their educational mammy. Mm -hmm. And I'm Mm -hmm. not here for it. Like that's the other thing. And the, like the, the willing, the unwillingness to pay you or the lack of recognition that your time is valuable um, is part of white supremacy, right? Like they think that they're owed your time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So fuck you, pay us. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. Well, and institutionally too, right? I mean, it's, you know, we ought to be compensating people institutionally to make sure this is just a regular part of becoming a human being and a citizenship in the 21st century. I mean, it should be built into our education spaces and into our civic spaces, and it should be supported, you know, because when we say sort of pay me, it's not like, well, you know, the individual's not hiring individuals to teach something. I mean, you could, right. I guess. Yeah. But we're talking about like building these structures that compensate people who do that labor, which we just don't do. Because again, we're fundamentally liberal we, and capitalists. We just sort of say, ah, you know, you'll sort it out in the marketplace. Uh, you'll learn it at school or else, I don't know, you'll pick it up in a book or reading the news. But like, or, or no, you I'm don't just because it's white supremacists. Yeah, I'm just yeah, one right. person, but it's actually not just one person asking. Yeah, yeah. I just think social media is the worst place to have those discussions. Like I learn on social media 
by listening. I mean, I, I, I bring this point up because for the most part, I have conversations in private with people from time to time, but when I'm learning stuff, it's because I follow particular people and I just shut up and listen to them. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, you know, have done the work to be receptive to, to what those folks are saying and receptive to challenging myself and change my mind. It took a really long time, but I did that work when I was younger and still do. Uh, but even part of it is like getting educated is just, you know, building, being willing to listen to people who are speaking. Right. And, and I learned a ton of stuff from social media that way, from following people, uh, racialized folks, religious minorities, disabled uh, folks, you know, lots of people and just listening has made a huge difference. Uh, that's something we should be teaching. Like, how do you listen and how do you do the work of the self to be receptive to hearing what people are saying and challenging your assumptions? Um, you know, it's, you know, by the way, you know, what's actually good at that good philosophy, go figure, not like bullshit philosophy, bro, nonsense, but like proper arts of the self philosophy that we don't really do much anymore. It's too bad. Changed my life. Can you give an example? Uh, yeah. So I took a second year philosophy class and we sort of read you know, Foucault and Connolly and um, they were, uh, Chantal Mouffe, I guess, was sort of part of that. Uh, Nietzsche was even part of that. Um, You know, they were, you know, go figure, it was sort of like, incidentally, it started like a bunch of white philosophers, right? But then, but then there were, but then there were other folks too, who, you know, uh, Selah Ben Habib, for instance, was, was a big turning point for me. Um, it, it, so I, mean, I feel like I should put together the old reading list that I had, but it was basically, you know, saying you need to be open to doing work that, that thinks about identity and difference. Um, uh, uh, the names aren't coming to me right now because my brain is just completely fried, but uh, it was absolutely critical to my, to my education. And, you know, I, I wonder if that, I, I don't know if that's still a big thing that's studied or not. I don't, I don't know. I'm not in that space. I can't speak to it. My sense, I'm not seeing a ton of it. Um, so maybe not, but it was when I was around uh, doing it. Which was a long time ago. Cause you're. Oh. It was quite some time ago now. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Any parting thoughts on this debate? I personally think that we either need more and better debates or no debates. Yeah, I 100% agree. More and better or none. And single issue debates. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's where the, the um, like five week uh, campaign cycle uh, is a disservice to Canadians because you can't, expect leaders who are out or I guess yeah I guess leaders uh who are meant to be out campaigning to be doing a debate every week which requires a lot of preparation but yeah the parties don't want it right the parties don't like that it's not good it's not great for them how about we get like somebody else to do it because this lot although Sachi was really good um I thought she held her own I thought she you know tried to keep the cloud car you know, in line. Um, I thought Mercedes Stevenson was pretty good. Mercedes Rose is always good. Yeah, she was very um, good. She is very good. She's like the only one, you know, holding this government to account. Um, well, not the only one, but in mainstream news, she is the one. Um, y'all know how I feel about Rosemary Barton. Oh, please tell oh, us. Kim- Kimberly Crenshaw. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry Kimberly. 
she just came she just came to mind as one of the people sorry oh, oh my brain oh, is coming oh, back oh. online oh i see kimberly crenshaw is one of the people who um one, she has an african-american forum newsletter like she has her own organization um yeah and they have a newsletter and you should subscribe yeah, and she's great. toronto burke uh has her book is coming out um your brain comes back online uh butler judith butler wendy brown oh yeah audrey lord i'm glad your brain is it's finally just in time no i i just no i felt i felt bad about not remembering them so i just wanted to put that in because yeah i wanted to make sure that that i cited them thank you this is this is this is again in line you just like in line with you know your bourbon loaf and your before sunset and you're like a walking rom-com billboard he's a rom-com bill what did you refer to him as the other day rom communist from ted lasso yes (laughs) exactly yes i too am watching ted lasso Oh yeah. my god, so good. Quite good. I, I quite like it. So good. So good. I haven't watched last night's though, so I gotta get on that this weekend. It's tonight's, I think, right? Is it no. tonight? No, no, it's already out. It was already out. I saw the exchange on Twitter. It came out at midnight. Oh, yeah, okay, right, that's right, right, why. right. Yeah. Why is Colin Firth trending? Okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> I just saw, well, it was. Uh, speaking the- of rom communism. Exactly. <laughs> If people want to write in with Mr. any Darcy, suggestions, I by the way, suggestions, I'm for, what? suggestions for rom-coms to watch because I'm watching through them all right now. I'm in the middle of John, the John Cusack arc, but I'm, I'm looking for, for more. Are you going to do the, uh, the sleep? I don't mind paying. I already did the, I already did the Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan arc. Okay. I did the Billy Crystal arc. I did the before sunrise, sunset, midnight arc. Before now I'm on to Cusack. Wait a yeah, minute, there are three of those? Yes. There's, yeah. there's a before midnight? Yes. Yeah. In 2014. It's very sad. Ugh. Ugh. They're all devastating. Yeah, but it's sadder than the rest, I think, because it's, it's so real. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. please let me know if I'm missing anything because I'm very, I'm very keen to keep this going through, right through, I think the apogee will be serendipity around Christmas. Oh, no, oh, not serendipity, uh, love actually. I, I cheated on serendipity. Uh, I hate but. love actually. It is so bad. I know, but that's the charm. No, no, no. See, this is where I part from you guys, okay? It is, no, bad is not charming. It's just, not, it's just bad. Oh, I was counting on it. Oh, I support this. Wait a minute. Isn't there one? There's a love actually type called like, what's it called? New Year's Eve or New Year's Day or. Oh, it's, yeah. There's one called New Year's Eve. It's. Eh. Oh, have you um the holiday, David? The holiday. Isn't that with Reese Witherspoon? No, the holidays with uh, Cameron Diaz. Oh, and Jack. That was the Jack Black era where he was a sex symbol. Ew! Wait, what? Listen, I don't make the rules. I just tell you them. <laughs> the time when Jack Black was in all those movies, it was like School of Rock era. Ew! Yeah, it was when it was when Hollywood was trying to convince us that the um, 
the average white guy was hot or something. Oh, David, you need to do the the Jennifer Lopez rom coms and the Katie yeah. rom coms. Yeah, I was. Oh, I don't know those. How to what? lose a guy in ten days? Yes, that's the one Manhattan. I was thinking of. Yes. No, I don't know those ones. Oh my! Oh my god! god. You got to get the, uh, Jennifer Lopez rom coms. I like to think of Jennifer Lopez and Out of Sight, and I don't. I just think that oh, just movie is so good week. that just peak stuff can you just can't beat that. But okay, I'll add these two. Yeah, Kate Hudson and Jennifer Lopez rom coms for sure. The Wedding Planner. Mm-hmm. I like The Wedding Planner. I it love good. it. I love it. I love it. Uh, yeah. Um, she had one with the guy from who was on Hawaii Five O, and um, she was expecting. Oh yeah, that one was good. It was surprisingly good. I thought it would be shit, but it wasn't. She does rom coms very well, Jennifer Jennifer Lopez. She's the best. Anyway, yeah. okay. um, I think. Oh that's wait, a wait, wait, wait! Energy. <laughs> wait, <laughs> oh. wait! I have one more thing. Dude from The Wire. What's his name? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, Michael... Michael K. K. Michael Williams? Yes, Michael K. Williams. Um, there's a great article on The Undefeated by David Dennis Jr. It's called What Michael K. Williams Taught Me About Being a Man um, and you know How to Show Up and Truly Love Black Queer Folk. And um, I, I can't, please look for it. I can't wait to read it. I've heard good things. And I just want to make sure that we recognize his passing because I think a lot of us kind of got into really great TV through him. I didn't. I <clears throat> Shut, stop it. <laughs> through oh, the Aaron. wire that Aaron didn't watch. Have you watched it yet, Aaron? I don't know him. Oh, no, bye. Girl, bye. Listen, I'm okay. on my third no, rewatch no, no. of Succession in advance of the new season starting. All right? And you've never watched The Wire? No. What? It's not streaming anywhere. It's on Crave. Oh, is it? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I just... I just... He was also in Community for a couple episodes and okay. super underrated because he was so good <laughs> And he was also in Boardwalk Empire. Didn't watch that. Yeah. Which is also and, on Crave, Aaron. And The Sopranos, right? Was Didn't watch Sopranos? that. Was he in The Sopranos? Like, not he as a... I don't know. I not don't as, know. like, a main... But if he was, I will get there. I could be wrong. <clears throat> I could be wrong. Don't, don't cite me. Anyway, this chaos will be back again next week for our last podcast before the election. So that's great. Thanks for listening. So. Bye. Bye. See ya. Bye. <laughs>